Grace and peace to you, dear siblings in Christ, from Jesus, who calls us to follow him and sometimes to take a seat. Amen. To understand what's going on in these verses from the Gospel of Matthew, you need to know about tax collectors. Whatever you might think about the IRS or the U.S. government and our whole system of taxes, your feelings pale in comparison to the way most first century Jews felt about their tax collectors. Jews in Jesus' day, including Jesus, lived in an occupied land. Their nation, Israel, was ruled by the Roman Empire whose officials oppressed the native population in all kinds of ways, including with heavy, unfair taxes. To collect these taxes, the Roman Empire employed local people, Jews, because they had insider information about who lived where and what they did for a living and how much they made. These local tax collectors were traitors in the eyes of their communities. They sold out their family, their friends, their integrity in order to make some money. And even worse, they often cheated the people they taxed in order to bring in a little extra income for themselves. Tax collectors ranked at the bottom of society. They were judged and excluded by everybody else. Matthew, sitting at his tax booth, was despised. People went out of their way to avoid him. So Jesus' actions are shocking. When Jesus calls Matthew to follow him, the implication is not just to follow him on a brief walk out of the marketplace. It's to become one of his followers. It's an invitation into Jesus' ministry, into his community. And it's pretty darn offensive to most of the rest of society. Then Jesus takes it a step further and he sits down for a meal with not just Matthew, but also a whole bunch of other degenerate lowlifes, and it sends those respectable folks over the edge. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They demand to know. Jesus responds that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And everybody agrees that the tax collectors are sick. They need a doctor. They need to be fixed. The problem is most people want to see them fixed with judgment, with some measure of holding them accountable, making them pay before they're forgiven. And Jesus doesn't do that. He eats with them, which is more than just, hey, let's grab a sandwich. It's a way of showing honor to somebody and acceptance. And Jesus was a rabbi, a religious authority, someone who represented God. So the message here is God accepts you. And that was simply unacceptable. One way to read these verses and then apply them to our lives is for us to identify with Matthew. We don't know why Jesus called Matthew or what Matthew thought about it. We don't know if he was waiting or hoping for Jesus to show up or if it took him totally by surprise. All we know is that Jesus called him and he went. And if we are putting ourselves in the position of Matthew, 
then we could conclude, whether we understand why or not, Jesus is calling us too to get up from where we're sitting and to follow him. And that's great, we could say. We do follow Jesus. Look, here we are, gathered for worship. These verses tell us that Jesus includes us even when others don't and offers us healing. If we want to take it a step further, we could think something vague about trying to be merciful since Jesus desires mercy, and then we could move on with our week. There's nothing wrong with this interpretation other than it's incomplete. That and if reading scripture always leaves us more or less comfortable with our assessment of ourselves and our discipleship, then our reading is probably pretty shallow. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through scripture, confronting us with our shortcomings and then calling us into deeper and truer relationships with God and with our neighbors. So it's worth looking again at these verses and asking ourselves, how do they sound if we don't identify with Matthew, but instead with the Pharisees? What does this passage have to say to us if we are generally faithful, rule-following, respectable people who probably hold some judgments about those people, even if we try to keep them quiet? If that's who we are, and it might be, then what does this text say to us? One of my teachers, Professor Rolf Jacobson, pointed out that the author of the gospel chose three different verbs that all get translated as sit in English, meaning that the author wanted to draw attention to that activity, to the sitting that's happening in this story. And if we are the Pharisees, standing and looking from the outside at Jesus and those people who are sitting, then I wonder if the Holy Spirit isn't asking us to take a seat, to pull up a chair and to ask ourselves, who or what does Jesus want me to sit with right now? Who or what is Jesus calling you to sit with? Sound easy? Have you ever had anybody tell you to just sit with it for a while? I hate that. A teacher or a therapist or a coach will introduce a new idea to me or give me a practice they want me to try for a bit or make an argument about something that I haven't considered and when I want to respond they say, I want you to sit with that. Just sit with it. No thank you. Sitting is slow. It's passive. We live in a culture that calls us to action, that wants us to keep moving. We're told that strength of character means taking a stand, knowing what you think and sticking with it. Slowing down to listen, to reconsider, to be open to learning something new, to be willing to change, that's uncomfortable. It's weakness, right? It leaves us vulnerable. And sitting with unfamiliar ideas is not much better than sitting with unfamiliar people. We prefer our people, don't we? Our friends, our family, people who look and think and live and vote like we do. 
If you've ever been squished in next to strangers on a plane or a bus, or seated by somebody unfamiliar to you at a wedding reception or an awards banquet, or you show up to your bleacher spot at the ball game and you find somebody who's a fan of the opposing team sitting next to you, then you know how uncomfortable it can be to sit with someone you don't already know or you wouldn't have chosen for yourself. But here's the thing. Jesus is in those people. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through new ideas and by challenging old ones. And if we never sit with anything or anyone new, we cut ourselves off from so much abundance that God wants to share with us. So, who or what is Jesus calling you to sit with? When I was in college, I had the opportunity to attend a worship service uh, with a congregation of inmates at the state penitentiary, the prison in town. Our campus pastor regularly took groups of students for worship, conversation with the inmates, and then a debriefing session afterward. On my visit, there were about a dozen of us students going. We had submitted background checks, we read through the waiver and the list of instructions, we figured out the carpooling, and when we got to the prison, we went through the sobering and intimidating layers of security to get onto the grounds, and that process only served to make me more nervous. I hadn't met any convicted criminals before that I knew of. I'd never been in a prison. I don't think I would have admitted it, but I had plenty of assumptions about these people that we were going to meet, and I was anxious about what it was going to be like. The prison staff led us to a large assembly hall where a group of 30 or 40 inmates were waiting. Our campus pastor had encouraged us to pair up and then spread out instead of sitting all together in one group. And once we were seated, worship started. I don't remember a lot about the service itself, other than thinking how weird it was that it was so familiar. We used the same liturgies that we were used to, we sang familiar hymns, we shared communion, just like normal. Really the biggest difference was the bars on the windows. What has stuck with me most clearly about that visit was a brief conversation I had when the service was done with an inmate sitting near me. George was middle-aged and very polite. Other than his orange jumpsuit, he looked like anyone else I might run into at the grocery store or the bank or the library. He thanked me for coming. He asked what I was studying in school. We talked about the holiday that was coming up, some of our favorite traditions, and then it was time to go. I was relieved, and I am embarrassed to admit, a little proud of myself, thinking what a nice thing I had done, going to this service and then even having a conversation. In the debriefing session afterwards, I mentioned my interaction with George to the prison chaplain. He smiled and nodded, saying that George was a great guy. And then he added, 
you'd never guess he killed someone. And he was right. I would never have guessed. And I've never stopped thinking about it since. I realized how backwards I had it. I was not the one doing a good deed by showing up for that worship service. George and the other inmates were. They bravely and generously shared their worship and their community with us, even though they could have probably guessed that we brought some judgments with us, assuming that we were superior. George killed someone, and he was kind to me. We worshiped the same God. We shared communion together. Jesus fed us both. I would not have chosen to sit with George had I known, but the Holy Spirit sat me down without my knowing, and I am grateful still. Every time I remember George, I am reminded that the differences between tax collectors and Pharisees are small, and that who is who can shift from one situation to the next, that we are all in need of a physician and we're much better off when we recognize it. Who or what is Jesus calling you to sit with? At Farmington Lutheran this summer, we are sitting, among other things, with not having a director for youth and family ministry. In many ways, it would be easier and more comfortable to just jump into the hiring process, but we have discerned a call from the Holy Spirit to sit and wait and pray. Pastor Ben is convening a youth team to do some intentional sitting, listening, and wondering together about where the Spirit's leading us, and we invite you to join us in praying about this process. How about you? Who or what is Jesus calling you to sit with? June is Pride Month. Do you have prejudices or assumptions to sit with and reconsider? As a country, we are heading into yet another election season. Is there someone from a different political party that you could sit down with? Can you find a boomer? or a millennial, or someone from a different generation who could break down your stereotypes and give you some perspective? Do you have a grudge you've been carrying that needs to be re-examined? Do you have grief that you would rather avoid, but that you're being called to acknowledge and express? Or is there someone you know who is grieving that you can sit with in their pain? Maybe it's one of these, or maybe it's something else completely, but people of God, you are called to follow Jesus, and sometimes that means taking a seat. It means sitting with ideas or assumptions or feelings or people that you would rather avoid or ignore, and allowing them to change or to change you. That's always uncomfortable, and it's often downright scary. The very, very good news is that whatever and whomever you are sitting with, whether you've chosen it or not, Jesus is sitting there with you, 
Jesus chooses to sit with you always, and he brings his mercy and his healing with him. You are called and you are loved. So take a seat. Amen.